This is a Hoff Studios podcast. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks, thanks for, for having time. Me. Yeah. yeah, I've been really actually looking forward to this uh, interview, this conversation. You know, I do a lot of podcasts these days, um, but I love the name Rebellious Reinvention. And Thank you. Yeah, just love what you've been putting out. And the word reinvention has been really near and dear to my heart for many, many years. So as soon as I saw you, I was like, oh, yeah, she's speaking my language. It's so funny because you, you even wrote in the questionnaire, like re- reinvention was one of the words that was on your list to possibly use for your podcast. So mm-hmm. it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we're getting into it. We're recording. So Laura, thanks for joining me. I will give everybody your intro um, just so they know who you are, have context. Um, we are always everything that we claim to be and more. So it's fun to, I like to share people's intros live with my guest and then we can get into it. So Laura Dawn is a keynote speaker and the host of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. She has been exploring altered states of consciousness for over 25 years, has a master's in science specializing in creativity and change leadership. She's at the forefront of exploring the intersection between psychedelics, creativity, cognition, and thought leadership. Laura has been leading transformational retreats for over a decade alongside her signature online programs and is a microdosing mentor, a visionary integration guide, for thought leaders, entrepreneurs, peak performers, and creatives. After building a volcanic hot spring retreat center on the big island of Hawaii, she currently is working on a new project on 90 on 90 acres in Costa Rica building and designing ceremonial homes for practitioners in the medicine path. Which leaves me, I've been following you for a few months or probably the last six months, a year or something, I came across your page. And one day I noticed your stories popped up and a mutual friend, Mark, was there in your stories, who's now your partner, who you're mm-hmm. building this amazing space with. I don't know Mark personally. I think maybe we've met once or twice. But Mark is an incredible designer and architect, and he's created some of those iconic pieces in Miami, whether it's be a restaurant, bar, or the pieces that are featured in them. And so Gabe, my partner who owns bars and restaurants in Miami, knows Mark really well. Um, And I was like, wait, there's a connection here. And it made me like take a deeper look and... And that's when I decided to invite you on. I was like, there's the the sign. Let's make it happen. Awesome. Yeah. Before we started recording, I said, oh, I have a couple of updates to my bio. And that last paragraph, the update I'm going to send you is alongside my partner, Mark Diaz. And, you know, just really naming that we're we're co-creating this project here in Costa Rica together. And I really genuinely just wouldn't want to do it without him because he's just such a creative genius. And even just witnessing him and his creative process has really taught me a lot about creativity, you know, coming through the very academic lens and then, you know, just, yeah, weaving and creating with him has just been so um, fulfilling already and inspiring and so much to learn. I can only imagine. I dated an artist for five years and it's, it just being in like a physical artist, you know, somebody who paints or draws or writes or creates like Mark does, it's a different lens that they come from and it's a different 
medium that they live in than most of the world. And so I totally get that, how that would be just change your perspective on life and, and creation in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to rewind a little bit because I know that getting here was such a wild process, just getting to even the moment of living in Costa Rica and creating this 90-acre property. Um, tell us about how you got into the space of transformational retreats and ended up building your space in Hawaii and what that was like. What led you on this medicine path? Oh, gosh. Hmm. That's a big question. You know, I think it really goes back to the sort of rock bottom moment that I had in my late teens. I was late teens, early 20s at that point. I was born and raised in Montreal. And I was sort of like on the on the fast track of success, so to speak. And I was really unhappy and really um, using different things to cope with what it just means to be alive on this planet. You know, it's so funny. I'm, I'm about to turn 40 here this year and uh, I'm so grateful to not be in my teens anymore and just like trying to make sense of you know reality, especially today, how fast things are changing. But it really goes back to that time in my life where... I knew, and and in that moment, I was actually on the bathroom floor and I was crying and I was really struggling with depression and different forms of addiction. And it was the first sort of -of out-of-body experience that I had. And I just heard this very clear voice tell me, you know, this doesn't have to be your life. This doesn't have to be your path. And Shortly after that, I literally packed up everything that I had. I gave everything away. I fit everything that I owned into one backpack. And I left Montreal and I never went back. And I still feel like I'm on that adventure of a lifetime, you know? And yeah, and and I've gone through that iteration of like deep reinvention multiple times. And that journey was, that that initial leaving was really a simultaneous running towards myself, discovering myself, and running away from myself at the same time. And just, you know, grappling with that sort of juxtaposition of really self-discovery and what it means to pave our own path. Because ever since I was a kid, I was always that kid that just beat to my own drum. I just wanted to live my life in the way that I wanted to live. And, you know, even in the way that going to high school and feeling like, wow, this system is so inefficient and telling my parents I didn't want to go to school anymore. And my parents were really supportive. And my mom was like, what do you need? Like, how can I support you in doing you? And she did, you know, and I got a tutor and I only had to study one day a week to equate to five days of class. And so I feel like I've been really supported on my journey of exploring who I am and paving my own path. And there's also a lot that comes with that, you know, being a leader, being a visionary. And I had my first high dose psilocybin experience when I was about 14. And so when people ask me, you know, how did you get into the space? I'm like, psychedelics raised me. I am who I am today because they forged me into the woman that I am today. And so it's a different storyline, you know? Than so I have a- literally said that phrase, psychedelics raised me. I think awesome. it's it, it's crazy because I think, not crazy, I, I relate so much to that. I resonate so much to that because I think the 
you could be the person that beats to your own drum since you were birthed, right? Mm -hmm. But there's these pivotal moments where you have to scrap everything that you have become Mm -hmm. despite how much you desired it. And that you have to scrap part of the way you identify with yourself, which is letting Mm -hmm. go of your ego. And so even though you're like, enough is enough. I'm at this crossroads. I'm packing everything I own up into, or I'm boiling it all down to a backpack and scrapping the rest. There's a sense of, it's like this double-edged sword for me. The way that I experience that is like, one, bravery, rebelliousness. It cements in that sense of, you know, empowerment, right? And simultaneously, there's grief of letting go of the identity that you've created. There's fear in not knowing what's going to happen next. You're literally stepping into this blank slate and not having anything in front of you, just trusting. It also creates radical faith, right? And and security within yourself. Every step you take, finding support or not finding support and figuring it out along the way. Mm-hmm. And, um, <clears throat> and I think that, you know, I talk a lot about or my life to my listeners and my clients and my followers has been a lot about, you can do anything, change your path at any time. But I always like to be really clear that with letting go of those identities, there is a lot of uncomfortability. You don't just get to put on the new identity and show it to the world. Like what you're seeing of me or what people are seeing of you is a death and a rebirth. And that in between is is really uncomfortable and you have to search and go really deep in within yourself to find who you are going to be next in the world, right? Yeah, it makes me think of actually the the root of the word reinvention. I'm such a word nerd and I love looking up the etymology of words uh, and like where it. words actually come from. And so, I mean, invention means finding or discovering something. And that's why this word has been one of a few cluster of words that's really been at the center of my altar for so many years because we're on a path of discovering something and the re means coming back around again. And But the the old French word, uh, it's invention, invenir, is to come upon, to find out, to discover, but it also goes deeper into to get, to acquire, and to earn. Like that is the, the so that this, you have to earn it. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And there's really a lot of discomfort in that process of stepping into that thing that we're discovering about ourselves and coming back to that over and over and over again, you know? So it's really a process. And I think that that's what you're, you're pointing to. And that actually goes back to like the, the root word from the 1500s. It was about the act or process of finding out how to make or do something. And in this process of reinventing ourselves, we're learning again how to do this thing that we call life and how we're showing up to do it. Because right now, things are changing than ever before. So of the top five skill sets that you can really learn to acquire, it for me, the top five, one of them would be the master, the art of reinventing yourself. And that comes back down to adaptability, flexibility, flexibility of mind. And that's where psychedelics are so helpful because they help shake up that psyche, the structure, the construct of this is the way it is. This is who I am. 
And it gets even more interesting when you're dancing with other people in your life that you've been dancing with for a really long time, where it's like, actually, I'm growing and changing and I'm evolving, but you're still relating to me like I'm that old person. So that becomes like this whole other interrelational dynamic that we also have to, you know, navigate and learn through and grow through. Yeah. But yeah, the grief is also a really big piece. That's been a huge teaching for me. It's just Same. learning what it means to hold space with a depth of pain that is so incredibly, it's like unfathomable to actually describe the depth of grief. You know, I'll give some some context here for a second, but, you know, I was married for 10 years, built a volcanic hot spring retreat center, uh, held just so many incredible retreats at our space. When we bought the land, we didn't know we were going to tap into hot water. It was like the land of miracles, okay? Wow. And, and when I first, the first night I slept on that land, I had a dream that the volcano was going to erupt. But the whole dream nothing, nothing like finalized. We were just kind of like running from it. And I had had many ceremonies really facing fear of this knowing that, oh my God, everything is impermanent, you know, and really bowing at the altar of impermanence. And I actually think that that is, if I had to distill 25 years of journeying with medicines into like a few core gems, that would be one of them, is that medicines teach us how to make peace with the fact that we're going to die and the fact that everything is changing. And it points to how we always try to hold all of our marbles in one basket and like not lose it and stay, you know, cling to things and people and beliefs and identities because we're afraid of the reality that everything is always changing. And that is just a flow and that we can learn to tap into you that, but we resist it. Totally. You were talking about that this morning, one of your Instagram posts. I, I literally saw that this morning. And what are some ways that we show up with fear of death that we that are subconscious that people don't think are fear of death? Because I yeah. I for a long time said, I'm not afraid to die. Like I'm not. I, I'm at peace with it. But then there was ways in which my life was showing me that I was holding on still to to who I believe I am and how the yeah. impermanence of this life. So what are ways that people show up? every single way you could possibly imagine. It shows up in all of the ways that we resist change. Intellectually, we know that everything is always changing. Intellectually, we're like, yes, here we're rational. Yes, we agree that that is a core truth of life. But emotionally, that is incredibly hard for us humans to make peace with. And we could even be listening to this and be in a moment of stability and be fine. But then you go through the divorce, you lose the home, you no longer have the thing that you identified with as a source of immense joy, for example. And that's the place that we're actually subtly denying the fact that everything is always changing and we are also going to die. And that instead of resisting so much of life, we can actually learn that it is a big channel of energy and that we can actually flow with it and learn to open our hearts and open our minds to that, but we don't really approach it from that way. So anything, and this is very much Tibetan Buddhism-based because I've been studying that lineage of Buddhism for about 15 years that has actually been such a parallel path for me with the plant medicines. 
And, you know, there's a lot of teachings that point to this, like all the ways that we cling to everything. We cling to our phones. We cling to this house as mine, this land. We cling to this, our beauty, our we age. We cling to everything, you know? And and yeah, and we don't, and, and especially that like in our culture, we don't want to embrace aging and we don't, you know? And so there's so much there that we just sweep under the rug and turn away from. And the beauty of, of journeying with plant medicines for me is that one of the things is that, yes, we can intellectually know something, but medicines teach you how to get real with the emotion of that and make peace with the emotion of that. And it's not easy. You know, when after the volcanic eruption happened, I had some of the hardest journeys of my life. I mean, so wait, we, tell us, tell us about the volcanic eruption happening. Cause you had these premonitions when you, you had a dream, you've had, you'd had premonitions while you were in ceremony. Yeah. And so, so what actually happened? Um, oh my gosh. So the last ceremony that we had on our land, I went to my ex-husband and said, and I was crying and I said, this is going to be our last ceremony here. And he just thought I was nuts. Everyone thought I was nuts. I like came into the ceremony and was just like really feeling it because for the month leading up to the eruption, and I had been on the big island for 10 years, it was a foundational training ground of my life. Such an important chapter. It taught me so much. And it taught me how to really listen to the land that we're living on. And so just for context, I've been living off grid and outside open air living for almost 20 years. And so when you live like that, you really learn to pay attention. You're pivoting your awareness to how much did it rain today? How, how sunny is it? We're on solar, we're off grid, you know? Uh, how much resource are we using? It's a different way of perceiving the elements in life around you. And when you hone that capacity, I think for a long time and you're very energetically sensitive, you feel things. And the reality is, is that the big island is on top of a lot of flowing magma all the time. And that is literally a lot of energy. So the month before the eruption happened, I was feeling it in my bones. And I had a really powerful solo sit after that journey that I was like, really feeling it and expressing to my ex-husband, you know, this is the last ceremony that we're going to have here. I had a solo sit. And of all the years of journeying with medicines, I can say that this journey taught me what it actually meant to surrender to life. And I felt in this moment that I was really actually laying my life down on spirit's altar. And I was like, okay, what you know, what are you asking of me? And it was really profound. I have goosebumps whew, saying it. It was really just a profound moment of knowing and a got very clear message. Things are about to change drastically. And then I like grabbed surrender. my guitar. Yeah. Like what it actually means to surrender. We all throw around these words, authenticity and no, surrender. Like surrender like it's, your life. Surrender your life. Like may it be like, and if you live, use me as yeah. you will. Exactly. And so I picked up my guitar and this song came through like one fell swoop, which has only happened a handful of times, but it is a very long and intricate and complex song. And it actually was my future self sending me a message like a lifeline because the next morning I woke up to the 
earth shaking under my feet to hundreds of earthquakes happened that week. And it was the, so that sit was the night before the earthquake started happening. And I will never forget the moment that I was standing in the garden and I was planting turmeric and my friend ran over and said, okay, you know, the road just split open in Leilani, which is a mile up the hill from us and lava just started flowing. And so it was time to evacuate. And so we, you know, just got all of our things together. And when there's a lot of seismic activity, that's how you know that it could be a potential volcanic eruption. So we were just feeling like so many, it was hundreds and hundreds of earthquakes. And so we were definitely feeling it. And then that moment happened and it was like, okay. And we went into weeks of evacuating and it's so wild to think about, but you know, you don't really realize that part of a volcanic eruption is um, large gas emissions. And so we were, you know, basically in gas masks and it's very foggy and there's parts of the earth that are opening up and splitting up and shooting large gas emissions. So it sounds like bombs are going off and there's lots of, you know, earthquakes happening. And then the 7.0 earthquake happened and that devastated my home and the retreat center and a lot of like my precious belongings broke and I lost a lot in that earthquake. And it was devastating. And through the whole time that we were evacuating, which was only through in and out through one road coming into the lower area of the island, and that road eventually got covered with lava. So we had a very limited amount of time and we were all working around the clock to get our stuff out. You know, first artwork, major belongings, you know, our most valuable belongings. And we got a whole bunch of stuff out. And um, then that road got covered with lava and the gas emissions killed like half of our medicine garden and our fruit trees and it devastated our land. And the whole time that we were evacuating and it was chaotic, it was like grabbing boxes and bins and throwing everything that we could in and trying to packing it up and getting it out. And the whole time I had that line from the song in my head. It was the, it was like my repeat. It was like I was in this trance. What was the line from the song? Trust in the great unknown. Trust that the highest will unfold. Trust that the way will be shown. And then the last line was, look into your hands, you hold the key. And it was really all about coming back to this knowing that when you're catapulted into a dark night of the soul or the cocoon of metamorphosis, that you're actually in the darkness, you're in the void. And part of that is that we can actually reframe that as the darkness is a really powerful ally. It's actually the place that we create from. And that's what I feel like medicines have been teaching me. It's the core curriculum. These are visionary medicines teaching us what it means to be visionaries. And when you know how to engage in visionary practices with these medicines, you're in the darkness. And in that darkness is the field of possibility. It is this infinite space from which to create and draw upon. And so after the eruption, you know, I came to Costa Rica to watch the rest of the eruption and it was going on for months. And someone made us an offer to buy that land while the lava was still flowing less than a mile away. And so we were very traumatized and we decided to sell it. And honestly, that was like severing a part of my body and giving it to someone else. Like that's what it literally felt like. Yeah. 
And then I went into such a deep darkness that I've never known before. And honestly, I would go through all of it all over again. You know, it taught me an enormous amount because when you touch a level of pain and grief and you go all the way there, actually what's on the other side of that is liberation and fully living and living more fearlessly and actually living more authentically. And it takes a warrior spirit to go to that place and to touch it so fully and to open yourself in the middle of that level of grief and suffering and to surrender in the middle of that. And that was like cracking me open on a whole different level, you know? And my marriage didn't survive that. And so after the eruption, you know, I went through such a big process and then divorce, pandemic, you know, it's just been, this is the era of reinvention. And when I look back, you know, I would walk through every step all over again because that chapter and every portal like that is a huge initiation that shapes you into who you're becoming. And I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't go through those experiences. And we just, we never know what's around the corner and what life has in store for us. And I tell this to Mark all the time. I adore this man. And I was like, you know, I would walk through the fire all over again just to meet you. And that initiation prepared me to meet him, prepared me for this chapter and this next level of creation and what's flowing through me. So, you know, I just bless it all. And it's not easy, you know? That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's so, you know, even even some of the words I've been trying to teach my daughter, she's afraid of the dark at night, going to sleep. And she's like, there's monsters there. Like when I close my eyes, I, I am thinking of bad things. And I... I've been, you know, there's nights where I'm like, there's nothing there. Just go to sleep. You're safe. I'm in my body. I'm Samaya. Like, I, you know, I just give her affirmations and it's like, it's time to just go to bed. And there's other nights where we explore that conversation when I have the capacity to do so. And I feel like she's in, emotionals, in an emotional state where she could do so as well. Mm. And it's so interesting because she's five, but I don't want to just be mm-hmm. saying to her, there's nothing in the dark. Don't be afraid of it, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah, I would say create it. A hummingbird just flew right in front of my face just now, just as I said that. Create it. It's like her her, her imagination is so vivid. It's like, what do you want to imagine? Like you are a visionary. You get to create. And that's the darkness is like the blank slate for imagination to explode. And actually as adults, we lose that. You know, we lose that capacity and psychedelics and plant medicines are visionary medicines teaching us how to reimagine, which is part of reinvention. Totally. So that's what I tell her. I was like, what are you going to have? Where are you going to go tonight? What are you going to experience? Who do you want to see? Do you want to see me there? Let's go meet in the dark. Let's go meet somewhere on another island, on another planet in another universe. What do you want to do? That's really fun. Um, I love some of the language that you specifically too. I'm going to have to re-listen to this and specific use this like specific language. It's so beautiful. Um, so how did you end up meeting Mark? We met at a retreat center that he co-designed and co-built. It was a bamboo retreat center. And uh, he was working for someone who was my client, who is a um, startup founder, did very well for himself. And he's been one of my clients. He's been through some of my programs. And uh, I've known him for 
a, quite a while. And uh, Mark was building his retreat center. And so that's how, that's how we met. And, you know, I had just come out of um, graduate school and a few other big things that were sort of transitioning for me. I was, you know, really kind of at the end of my tumultuous process of really fully letting go and completing the last decade relationship that I had been in. So he actually met me at a really tender moment in time. But one of the greatest visions that I hold that inspires me so much that I have not yet been able to manifest because I was so close to building my dream home on the volcanic, um, you know, before the volcanic eruption happened, but that prevented me from doing that. And I've always wanted to co-design and really just vision my home and anchor that. And when I go into a lot of uh, visionary realms, I actually design and build. Mark calls me an architect of the mind, which I really appreciate. And so when I met him, you know, I was just so like fascinated by his process. And I asked him, it was like, you know, I've been designing my home. I wonder if, you know, you'd want to help create that with me. It was like one of the first things I asked him, you know, before we even knew each other. And uh, he's also a facilitator and he's really inspired around um, transformational spaces. And actually part of my graduate degree in creativity studies was looking at what we call the fourth P of creativity, which is place, the creative environment, and how our interaction with the environment influences the way that we think, our cognition. Very psychedelic. This, yeah, it is. It's very, it's actually part of my thesis was overlaying the four P's of creativity and uh, over set and setting and starting to develop new ways of looking at set and setting. Because right now there's very, um, I think we're really just scratching the surface of what we totally. know, you know, these multifaceted um, medicines. But yeah, that was how we connected was just geeking out over spaces and how spaces can be conducive to thinking, to cognition, to creativity, to transformation, ultimately. And we're both really big lighting geeks. So when I meet someone who like initially starts talking to me about like ambient lighting, I'm like, you're my people. <laughs> Mark has created some of the most iconic lighting pieces that I've that I've even witnessed. And I've only seen stuff like some of his work in Miami, and then his mushroom chairs. Come on, Those, I know the furniture pieces. Oh, I know it's insane. He's wild. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about. Okay, do we talk about integration and creativity, or do we talk about sovereign space holding and keeping your sovereignty and choosing a facilitator? Pick your journey. Ooh. Integration and creativity. <laughs> I love that, okay. though. I really yeah. love the choose-your-own-adventure. Um, <laughs> yeah. We have okay. about 15 because, minutes left, okay. so we have to oh choose gosh. an adventure. Okay. I, I just want to say, well, first of all, I love your interviewing style. Um, Thanks. The sovereignty piece is interesting, though, especially because recently I just posted in my stories about how my primary practice has actually been solo for the past 12 years. And I feel nervous to say that out loud publicly. Mine is as well. People call that recreation and give it a really bad name. Like, recreation yeah. is recreation. And I, I don't believe you have to have a space holder either. 
I'm with you on that. I mean, if you think about it, people have been uh, journeying with these medicines for millennia, and we have an innate desire as humans to explore altered states of consciousness. So I do take a stand for sovereignty and cognitive liberty with the caveat that if you're listening to this, I'm not encouraging you to do that because you have to have your safety in mind. And so I like the buddy system, you know, for many years still, even when I'm journeying really deep, I tell my babe, you know, I'm like, come check on me in three hours and make sure I'm okay. And, you know, I have backup systems because I have journeyed to the depths of the, of the universe and back. And sometimes it's really hard. So it's no joke. These medicines are no joke. And so I like to just emphasize that safety is incredibly important and that I, I am with you though, that there's a multifaceted dimension to these medicines. And I I genuinely hope that we actually haven't yet discovered all the ways that we can explore them that is conducive to transformation. And I, I do hope that all of the medicine and all of the psychedelics that our communities and all the communities are doing, what I really genuinely hope that that adds up to is an open mind and a capacity to listen and engage in dialogue with non-reactivity and non-judgment and to be able to and come nuance. to the table. Yeah, and nuance. Like there's so many shades of gray here and I think that there's a lot of judgment that gets thrown around and when you are a visionary at the forefront of a conversation, you know, a lot of people aspire to be influencers, but if you are influencing change. By definition, you are going beyond conventional thinking. You're going beyond, you're expanding and rubbing up against the edges of conventional thinking, which means that you're inviting people to re-question their beliefs and people build their identities on what they believe to be true. And so when you question someone's identity or someone's belief system, people will do anything to defend that, right? And so... You know, that's why I think that these changes that we seek with psychedelics, especially around being open-minded, takes time. It takes decades to start shifting and like unlearning ways of perceiving. One LSD journey is not going to make you a better person overnight. Like it, it's just, you know, it it is a catalyst and it can and it can support, but this is like decades of work, yeah. which really points which to integration. Us, yes, which really points to integration. Perfect. <laughs> exactly. It points to integration. And the, yeah. the, the reason I bring up integration and even, you know, tag, it's a perfect tag to this conversation because I think so many people out there right now are, are in the space of their psychedelic curious Maybe they did it recreationally in college. I, a lot of my friends right now are like, I really want to do ayahuasca. I think I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to the jungle. I'm going to find a retreat center. The medicine has called me. They're in that early space. Um, maybe they're curious about microdosing. And there's so many misconceptions about being a magic pill or they've heard the Silicon Valley guy who had an epic ayahuasca experience and his whole life radically changed. And... You know, now he's on fire with the torch and they think that that's going to happen to them. And while all of that is true, there's so much nuance. And while I've had profound experiences that have changed my life or my mind, recreating my life and creating lasting change within my life and really redirecting 
is not something that happens overnight. And you can have a profound life-altering experience and you could wake up a week later and be in exactly the same space. And so how do we take these experiences home with us? And whether it's a profound macrodose experience or a microdose experience, um, what is your perspective on integration? My, my perspective on integration is integration fueled by imagination to support transformation. And when we, we are all talking about transformation, you know, this is we're in transformational spaces, transformational retreats, you know, transformational programs. Um, reinvention is the art of mastering transformation. And when you look at, again, like what does transformation actually mean? It means that you're able to take new actions that's aligned with your vision rooted in your values. And you're able to do that consistently, even under the same old pressures and stressors and triggers, because we know that, you know, it's like we can kind of play with change, but it's embodied and it's woven into the fabric of our being when we can take those new actions in a consistent way, even in the old environments, even against the same old pressures and triggers. So when you look at actually, okay, what are we actually talking about? Well, part of my definition is that we're aligning with an inner vision of who we're becoming. And that requires leveraging the power of your mind. And I think that the most unexplored topic of integration is looking at how we can leverage visionary practices, mental imagery, visual visualization meditations, and the power of imagination to recreate what we want to be stepping into. And I think that that's a huge topic of conversation, which is why for me, everything comes down to the act of creativity. We're creating our path. We're creating ourselves anew over and over again. And so I think when we look at it within that context and for people who are new to the path, get clear on what you want, you know? And it's easy to say, what do you want? And ask the question, but actually that could take months and years to peel the layers back of all the bullshit to come to the core of your truth. Like, what do I genuinely really want to create with my life? And then cultivate that vision and practice leveraging. And we're not taught these tools, which is why I run programs that teach people how to leverage the power of visualization, guided mental imagery. It's such a big part of what I'm doing. And to leverage the power of your imagination and to then hold that vision as your North Star and start taking steps in that way. And I always tell new people on the path, when you know your why, you know your way. Everything starts with clarity. Clarity is the beginning of the path. And Clarity is actually requires a daily practice. It's not one and done. You no. learn to actually ask the right questions and to use these questions as a guide to help orient yourself in the direction of your choosing. And then you have to have the courage to let go of all the dead weights, all the bullshit baggage that we carry around what's possible, what's not possible. Because with the power of your mind, you can actually really tap into so many dimensions of possibility in a way that you can't with, you know, interacting with this 3D reality. And that's what I think medicines are showing us how to do. So I think the preparation, you know, I don't want to run 
seven-day retreats anymore. I want people who want to be on a year-long journey with me minimum. Transformation takes time, you know? And even when I run programs for leaders, we always start with, well, what do you value? And people, I'm always amazed at people don't really think about what they value. You know, and what what do you really care about in your life? What are you willing to orient your life around? What are you willing to walk through the fire for? What do you take a stand for? These are all clarifying questions that help orient us on the path. And just to remind people that it's a path. It is a path. And you have to start there. It sounds like so much of the work that I've been doing the last five years with my clients as well. I have a a program called Your Your Value GPS. And if you don't start with... Because the thing is, if you start with what you want, what's hidden within what you want and the first time you write it down or the first few times what you write it down are your worthiness, like comes up, your perception of worth, what you believe you're worth or not, your fears and your biased belief systems around what people can and can't have, what you believe you can and can't have and what's possible, right? And... So you could write those initial things coming from a place of lack. But when you start with your values and you align with what's truly important to your soul, then you start to excavate and allow yourself to ask, what would I like? And in the right way, and for months, asking yourself the right questions, then you can really get to a place where you're uncovering those belief systems, aligning with your values, and really excavating who it is that you are and what it is that you believe that you want in this world and not just, or what it is you actually want, not what it is you believe you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I so work. appreciate that. And I, I do, I think that there's a lot of sort of tools we can draw upon to bypass, bypass those limiting beliefs, you know, around what's possible, what's not possible. And that's why, you know, oh gosh, there's so much that I want to jump into, but I know we're wrapping up here. And it's, it's just looking at those, those windows of cognitive flexibility that happen after ceremony. You know, right now, our primary lens for relating to that is through the therapy lens, psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. But those windows of enhanced, con- of enhanced cognitive flexibility, we can leverage that for rewiring our beliefs, you know, for looking at things in a new way, that for really teaching people what it means to be creative and creative thinking skills and creative problem-solving skills and, you know, how to navigate life and do this better, you know? There's... And that's my hope, is that we keep expanding the boundary of the conversation around how we work with psychedelics. Beautiful. There's going to be a part two, I feel like. We should do another... Another episode. My last question, I feel like you kind of answered this, but I feel like just give us a little summary. What does rebellious reinvention mean to you? It means, rebellious reinvention means to me that you're rebelling against or willing to say no to the cultural norms that are given to you that are handed to us as this is the way it needs to be. So we're able to say, actually, I'm going to think for myself and feel for myself here for a second, and I'm going to make decisions that are in alignment with who I really am. And when you choose that, you are inevitably in the process of reinventing yourself over and over and over again. And that reinvention is that process of discovering and earning that level of discovery 
and <laughs> and we discover who we truly are over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. Ah, oh, I love you like articulate the feelings that I have within me and like the beliefs that I have so beautifully. Thank you so much for taking the time to do so. It resonated just so deeply. So I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. I'd love to hear more about your story too. I'm going to start tuning in more to your podcast and thanks. all the things that you're thanks. doing. I appreciate it. Yeah. There, there's definitely a strong resonance there. So thanks yeah, for all the work I can't that wait you to, do when as is, well. When is the retreat center going to be? What The property that you're working on, I'm sure it's still it's totally a, a work it's, in progress. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's a multi-year pro- uh, it's a multi-year project for sure. I'm going to be running other retreats at another location in the interim, but we're probably a couple years out before we're running full retreats here. Well, Gabe and I come to Costa Rica a lot, so I can't wait to give you yes. a big squeeze and hug in person and maybe join you on one of your journeys because I need it. It's great. Your energy is awesome. amazing. Thank you. You're really so appreciate welcome. you. Every week we have a recurring segment and I share my favorite things, tangible products to use, things to walk away with above and beyond the inspiration of these conversations. Think, what if you are who you've been looking for? Not just in wherever you go, there you are kind of way or in a romantic kind of way, like searching and searching just to find inner love one day and realize you're the one you've been looking for. Those are important ways in which to honor yourself too. But I'm thinking more about what if you're the savior you've been looking for, like you're your own guru. I used to have a sticker sticker that said, kill the guru. And listen, I got it, but I didn't get it until more recently in my experience working with coaches and healers. There are some amazing ones out there, but if you don't have sovereignty, not just granted by them, but held by you, you have nothing. You are what you've been looking for. So kill the guru. Do. Go grab a free download from Laura Dawn. She has six different freebies, six, including a playlist for psychedelic journeys, 45 questions to vet your shaman, and a guide on how to have a safe psychedelic journey at home. The link is here in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and share. And if you're feeling extra generous, please write a review. I read every one of my reviews and I'm beginning to add them to my podcast. What I would like to do is ask you to explain what rebellious reinvention means to you in your review. And I will read them on the next coming episodes, signing off rebelliously and relentlessly. Don't forget to question everything.